I'd like to thank our brother, uh, Mr. Humphrey, and also as well, uh, Mr. Thomas, for the word of welcome uh, to come tonight to bring forth God's uh, precious word. And for you as well, who have made the journey tonight, we pray that God will bless us. And most of all, that at the end of this night, that we will have a greater love uh, for our Saviour and our Redeemer. Going through the book of Hebrews, uh, this first chapter, Christ the Son of God, I will not take the whole chapter but I will take a few verses uh, at the start of this chapter. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 1, and I'll just read from verse 1 uh, down to verse uh, 4. Hebrews chapter 1, and for, uh, to verse 1 down to verse 4. The word of God says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, Spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing uh, to the reading of his word. We'll look to the Lord now for prayer and still our hearts in the presence of the Lord, you pray along with me, the one beside you, the one behind you, in front of you, that the Lord will meet our needs this night. Our Father and our God, we thank thee we approach thy throne this night, in and through our Saviour's precious name. Father, we thank thee we come to thee on redemption ground. You Lord, we don't come to thee on any merits of our own, but Father, we thank thee that thou hast opened up that way through thy beloved Son. And Father, we pray, O God, this night, as we seek to meditate upon thy word, ye Lord, we pray that by thy spirit that thou will come and apply thy word to every single heart. Ye Lord, our heart's desire this night is that we will see none save Jesus only. Lord, we pray tonight if there's any outside of Christ, Lord, that they will come and put their faith and trust in Jesus the mighty to save. Lord, if there's one coming uh, tonight cold in heart, you Lord, we pray that thou wilt talk with them by the way. And Lord, give them that heartburn experience this night. O God, we pray that thou wilt come and fill us with God the Holy Ghost. Give us power tonight, we pray, in the preaching of the word for the Saviour's sake. Amen. 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 Now, as we come to the book of Hebrews, I will not go into the authorship of the book of Hebrews. I know there is no clear name as to the author. And it is generally held that the Apostle Paul is the writer, human penman. Now, you may disagree, I don't know, you may have your own thoughts as many other people do. Uh, but I will just for tonight, and uh, just because I've always been taught, I will just say the Apostle Paul. And the reason being, if I would just kept saying uh, the author of the book, the author of the book, uh, I will at some point say Paul anyway. So it's just better to start off with Paul now than to uh, get you confused and get myself confused. So that's just by the way. But the book of Hebrews was addressed to Jewish Christians. And it was for the purpose to present the transition from Judaism 
to Christianity. That was a matter that deeply perplexed many Jewish Christians. When Paul wrote this epistle, the temple and its entire ceremonial system was still in existence and functioning. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, uh, that every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. Since they had been steeped in ceremonial or Levitical system, the Jewish Christians struggled to grasp the connection between the gospel and the temple system. Therefore, Paul made it clear that Christianity is not a form of Judaism. However, the Jews failed to see this, and they presented a message of works. They presented a message of salvation by the works of men's hands. What men can do to have salvation. But Paul came and Paul preached the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Getting to the message of the cross. The message of free grace. Through faith in the merits of Jesus Christ alone. Without the effort of man. And maybe here tonight, I don't know who is saved or who is not saved. But can I say at the offset of tonight, salvation is of the Lord. It's not by coming to church. It's not by being here. It's not because you have someone in your family who belongs to the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And if you are ever to enter into heaven, if you are ever to have your sin forgiven, it is by coming to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Whenever these Jewish believers understood this and they turned away uh, from uh, these trappings of the system, they came under persecution from other Jews who remained zealous to the law. And therefore, Paul wrote to encourage these believers in the things of God. Paul encouraged them as they sought to live the Christian life. And Paul wrote in chapter 12, looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of the faith. That's what Paul was saying to them. As you run the Christian life, as you live your Christian life, do so looking on to Jesus the author and the finisher of the faith. And that word looking onto, it signifies to fix your eyes upon. In other words, Paul is presenting them Christ who is supreme. Christ who is above all. And Paul is saying to them, fix your eyes upon Christ. Fix your eyes upon the Saviour. Looking on to Jesus. That word, uh, the preposition onto, signifies looking away from, but looking onto. Therefore, Paul says, when you live your Christian life every single day, look away from everything else, but look toward Christ. Keep your eyes upon the Saviour. Get your attention upon the Lord. Looking on to Jesus. And that word looking is also the present tense that signifies a continual looking every single day. Have your eyes upon the Lord. 
Can I ask, is your eyes upon the Lord today? Have you got your eyes fixed upon the Saviour? Maybe you're looking to other things. But can I say like the Apostle Paul, get your eyes looking upon the Saviour. Paul's whole thing to encourage these believers to look on to Christ was simply to show them that Christ was all they needed. He was superior. He was better than anything. I know the uh, unbelieving Jews, they glorified in their temple, their priests, their sacrifices, all these things. Yet Paul was simply showing that Christ Jesus has fulfilled them. He is superior than all these. We don't need the sacrifices. We have Christ. We don't need that temple. We have Christ. Paul is not presenting a new message. He's not presenting another way of salvation. Simply Paul is telling the gospel, the true gospel of redemption in Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the only redeemer of God's elect. And we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of Sin, And that's what Paul is starting to state out here. Because he goes on to say, God who at sundry times in verse 1 and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Paul is simply saying that Christ is greater than the prophets. Yes, in, uh, in sundry times. God revealed himself progressively in diverse manners, in different ways, through dreams, through types. Uh, they were all signifying, pointing to the Lamb of God. And in these last days has spoken unto us by his Son. That means Jesus Christ is the only word of grace that God has for men. God will not say anything else to any man apart from Christ. In other words, all that you need to live your Christian life and all you need for salvation is found in Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as Paul is telling these believers about their Saviour, about their Messiah, about the Son of God. He goes on to explain to them who the Son of God is. And that's what we want to look simply tonight. Christ, the Son of God. Notice, first of all, there is Christ's person. His person. Read there, Paul says, uh, verse, uh, verse 2, hath, uh, well, verse 3, we'll just say, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So there we have Christ's person. Throughout the book, Paul lays emphasis on the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. And he tells forth Christ as the God-man. And you ought to learn that phrase. And you ought to love that phrase. Our church in Lewis, our congregation, we make much of that phrase. Christ is the God-man. 
the theanthropic person. God and man. The God-man. Made of two words. Theos, meaning God. Anthropos, referring to man. The God-man. Two distinct natures. In one person forever. And you ought to learn this. Because Christ was not God on some occasions. And then man on other occasions. Paul is simply showing he was always God. And he was always man in one person. And therefore without that unique person. There would be no hope of salvation for any member of the, of the fallen humanity. This is vital to the salvation of sinners. Because it was necessary that he would be identified with those he came to save. And Paul goes on to expound through this chapter and these verses his deity. And then bringing it down uh, to his humanity. You see, deity cannot die. That which is eternal cannot die. And therefore, in order to save sinners, he must take our humanity on to himself. That's why Paul could say in Timothy, God manifest in the flesh. Deity cannot die. But therefore, in his humanity, in his human flesh, he suffered, he bled, he died for all the sins of his people. And therefore, by that, Paul is confirming that Jesus Christ is God, the eternal Son of God. He did not become the Son of God, not to learn that as well. He did not become the Son of God. He was not created the Son of God. He did not receive this title as the Son of God. But Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. The second person of the Godhead. In eternity, Christ dwelt with his Father in glory. Therefore, Christ's person is eternal. A divine person. Uh... Is um, Jesus Christ is God. His divine nature as the eternal Son of God, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. So he was not created. However, his human nature did have a beginning. And that was at the incarnation. When the miracle of the virgin birth. So what we're simply laying down here. Paul is simply laying down here. uh, Speaking about his deity. And then bringing it down to his humanity. Because notice Paul is speaking about their saviour. Being the brightness of his glory. And the literal rendering of that is the brightness of the glory. The brightness uh, of the glory. In other words, signifying to send forth brightness. Paul is not simply saying that the Son of God is a reflection. But the brightness of the glory. He is the very radiance. The source of radiance. Christ is the source of glory. Just as the rays of sunlight 
relate to the Son. So the Father and the Son relate to each other. They cannot be separated. They are one. That's why Christ said in John chapter 10 verse 30. I and my Father are one. Therefore in Christ there radiates forth the brightness of his divine glory or divine nature. That he possesses all the divine perfections are seen through Christ. He is the express image of his person. And that phrase, the express image, uh, means uh, the exact presentation of his nature. The word there, express image, means to engrave, to stamp, uh, to have a mark. And the phrase is borrowed uh, from the Roman practice where the emperor uh, would have taken his ring which had his personal inscription or his personal image on it and put that ring in hot wax and then got a letter and put that on the letter. And whenever he had finished, the letter would have had his uh, mark on it confirming that it came from the emperor. It had his express image. Therefore, you knew It was from the emperor. And so Paul is saying Christ is the brightness of his glory. But he is also the express image of his person. He is the exact presentation of his nature. Whenever you look at the sun, you look at God. That's what Paul is getting at. Paul also said... In Colossians chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So there Paul is speaking about again redemption and the one who came to be our redeemer. And Paul says, this one who is our redeemer, our saviour, the one who came to bleed and die, they offer himself a sacrifice. He is the image of the invisible God. To see him is to see God. That word image that Paul uses, who is the image. Again, that word image does not mean likeness. Does not mean resembles. Does not mean similar I know the terms may seem strange, but these are things that get caught out uh, that the Jehovah's Witnesses and others use. They would say he, he, he is similar and other. No, he is not similar to God. He is God. That's what Paul is getting at here. Christ, the Son of God, he is God. The manifestation of God. Therefore, God has revealed himself Through his son. God has nothing more to say to man. Except through his son. Therefore tonight. If you miss Christ. You miss the message. He is salvation. He is the one whom God has revealed to men. The only begotten of the father. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Therefore whom the Son sets free is free indeed. For he that hath the Son hath life. Therefore tonight if you have the Son, if you have Christ as your Saviour, you have everlasting life. Is he your Saviour tonight? This one that we're speaking about in his person, the God-man, the mediator between God and men. Is he your Saviour tonight? If he's not, you can come and ask him to be your Saviour. Cry on to him for salvation and he will save you. But notice secondly, there is Christ's power, or power, whatever, I'm trying to get my O in there. Christ's power. Verse 3, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Also, Paul says in verse 2, by whom he also made the worlds. And really, if you want, we could read down there in verse 10. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the works of thy hand. So here Paul then speaks about creation. He identifies this son as the creator. So just think about that. The son is the creator. He is the creator. Therefore creation is a divine activity. For only God creates. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the name God is Elohim. It is the plural name for God. And it's followed by a singular verb. So simply saying, the Godhead did one thing. Created. They did one work. They created. Why? Because there is one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God. The same in substance, which is essence. Equal in power and glory. So Paul is simply saying, the Son of God. He is our creator. In the beginning, God. Right there. In eternity past, the Son He created. Again, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 3 of John chapter 1. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So here Paul is laying down the Son. He is the Creator. He is God. He is Creator. Again, Paul writing to the believers at Colossae, seeking to edify them, to build them up in their most holy faith, said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, again by Christ, for by Him were all things created. That are in heaven. That are in earth. Visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions. Or principalities or powers. All things were created by 
him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things consist. By him all things consist. And that word consist, it signifies to hang together. It means to have their dependence upon. So he created the world. And therefore the world uh, hangs together by him. Uh, This world is not out of control. It is not disorganized. But the creator holds all things under his control. They consist. They hang together by him. And Paul is saying... The Son of God, who is our Saviour, He is our Creator. And that's why Paul, here to the believers in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, says, Upholding all things by the word of His power. The word, again, the word there, uh, upholding all things. That word upholding means to, uh, to carry along. Or to be moved. So you could say. uh, We could read there. uh, And upholding all things by the word of his power. Carrying along all things by the word of his power. Uh, The same word is used in uh, Acts chapter 27. Verse 15. It speaks about the ship being carried along by the wind. It's also used a more uh, well-known verse in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 about the scriptures. Holy men of God speak as they were moved. It's the same word. Uh, upheld or carried along, moved along. Holy men of God speak as they were moved along, carried along. By the Holy Ghost. So Paul is simply saying. That this world. Our saviour. Is our creator. The redeemer is the creator. And he continually upholds this world. He continually moves all things along. He upholds it by the word of his power. He spoke the world into existence. And he upholds it. He carries it along. And therefore, whatever the wicked may do, or whatever uh, progression they may make, our God is still on the throne. He is in control. And never lose sight of that. That's why Paul is saying, get your eyes focused upon the Lord. Because if you ever look around man, you'd be like King As- or, uh, the psalmist Asaph in Psalm, I think it's 72, where he's downcast because of the wicked in their high positions. But then he remembers, the Lord is high above all. He is in control of his own world, of his own creation. Don't you think God has lost control? Don't you think God uh, is being controlled? No, he is God and he is in control. Nothing is out of control. And God works to his own eternal purpose. We may not understand what he does. But God never does anything by mistake or by chance. As for God, his way is perfect. And therefore, if he is in control of this world, everything in this world, and he carries it along, he moves it along by his power, how much more in your life is the exact same truth? 
He carries you along. He moves you along. You may go through a trial. You may go through a discouragement, a setback in your life. And you may think everything has got out of control. I'm going through this burden. I'm downcast. I feel like giving up. But the Lord, the creator and redeemer, he will carry you through. He will guide you through. He will be there for you as your great saviour, as your great high priest. And therefore, your life is not out of control. But the Lord is doing all things for your good and his glory. That you can say like one of old, I being in the way, the Lord has led me. And we know not the way the Lord leads us. But we're glad we can say we, have, we know the one who is leading us. And you may go through a trial tomorrow or the next week or the week after. As one man said, you're either going through a trial, coming out of a trial, or you're about to go into a trial. And through it all, the truth is still the same. He will control all things. Whatever happens to you, he is in control. It may be a death in the family. It may be that news from the doctor that you did not want to hear. But the Lord is still in control. Of your life. And all things work together for good. To them who love the Lord. And are the called according to his purpose. So if he's in control of this world. And he holds all things by the power of his hand. And by the power of his word. And this world consists. Hangs upon him. Therefore he is in control of your life as well. Thirdly. There is Christ's purging. Because, verse 3, Paul, uh, after speaking about the Son of God, his deity, now comes to his humanity. Because here's God manifest in the flesh. Here's the God-man, the one who came to die. And Paul says, when he had by himself purged our sin. Therefore, the creator who sustains his creation is also our sin-bearing saviour. And remember, in the book of Hebrews, there is the sacrifices, the temple, and the priests. And Paul is simply getting their minds to focus upon one true sacrifice for sin. One great priest. Paul says, he had by himself purged our sins. The literal rendering of those words read, uh, when he had made purification of sins he made purification of sins so that word purged or purification of sins uh, signifies cleansing and again this was central to the whole Levitical system Uh, things were continually cleansed sprinkled in the blood we learn in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. And these Jews knew that in the ceremonial system all these washings that were required for their purification, for their cleansing these, Paul's getting to their mind all these did was to cleanse outwardly but they did not purge inwardly. They might have cleansed the flesh, but they did not cleanse the soul. 
And Paul is simply presenting to them one who came to purge the soul. Who came to take away sin. Who came to make purification of sins. All these sacrifices and the temple and the priest. It was all to point to Jesus Christ. The blood of the bulls and goats were never to take away sin. But they were to point to the one whose blood does make atonement for sin. In the precious blood of Christ. For the blood makes atonement for the soul. And it is in the blood of Christ that makes atonement for the soul. His blood covers sin. His blood purges sin. That's why uh, John, whenever the believers were in a battle. And they had these uh, Gnostics going around. Causing error, telling the people that they had no sin uh, to be cleansed of. Paul was saying, We do have sin. We sin ever, or John was saying, We do sin. Because if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. But he went on to say, The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth from all sin. And that word cleanseth, it's in the continual tense. And therefore, Paul was, or John was saying to them that the blood of Christ continually cleanses from all sin. There is never a point or a time when the blood of Christ does not cleanse from sin. Spurgeon went on to say that there are some sins that a man would blush to speak, but there's no sin. That the blood of Christ cannot cleanse. And therefore there is that provision made for you every single day by the precious blood. Cleansing for you because of Calvary. And Paul is drawing them back to the cross. And every preacher ought to get to the cross. Our praying, when you pray, get to the cross. Get to redemption. Because it is in the ground of redemption that you come to the throne of grace. Get to the blood in your preaching, in your praying, in your witnessing, in your singing. Sing about the blood. Preach about the blood. Make much of the blood. And that's what Paul is doing. He says, when he had by himself purged our sin. That word he had is in the Irish tense. Simply meaning a once for all act that has continual effects. What Christ did at Calvary, that one time work, the result of that, the demonstration of that is applied today to souls who call upon the Lord for salvation. You see, uh, Paul said also in Romans chapter chapter 5 that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us God commendeth his love and that word commendeth means to demonstrate it means to prove and it's in the continual tense so Paul is simply saying to the church at Rome uh, uh, Christ died on the cross And the demonstration of God's love is continually expressed even to you. And even today what Christ did at the cross of Calvary. 
How do you know how much God loves his people? Get to the cross and you will see how much God loves his people. That he sent his son to die on the cross. At the cross God demonstrated, God commendeth, God proved his love. And that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. And the word for us means in the place of Bringing us to the place of sacrifice. To the place of substitution. He became sin for us. Who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Therefore Paul brings them to the cross. When he had by himself purged our sin. He did that work. Therefore all these continual sacrifices that you're doing. They don't need to be done. Because Christ did the work. That one time work. When he put away sin unto salvation. Because on the cross remember. The saviour said it is finished. And the word it is finished. Simply means it is perfected. It is completed. He did the work. Therefore there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. He came into this world as the God-man. Identified. He came into this world, took our nature onto himself. The God-man. And there he obeyed the law of God. He lived a perfect life. He did no sin. He knew no sin. I've always said this before. And I've taught our people well in Lewis this here. That there is a debate among theologians. Those who say Christ could have sinned, but he didn't. And those who say he did not sin, no possibility of him sinning, so he did not sin. I fall in that camp. He did not sin, he could not sin, because he is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And no sacrifices, whenever that animal was chosen, you read Leviticus chapter 1, it had to be without blemish without spot perfection and if there was the slightest bit of spot or blemish that was put aside and another one placed perfection why all again pointing to Christ the one who was the perfect son of God without sin if Christ could have sinned then he could not have been our saviour because one with sin can't be the saviour of others Therefore, he was without sin. Tempted, as in all points like we're, as we were, yet without sin. He lived that perfect life. We needed a perfect righteousness. And then, not only did he obey the precept of the law, but he obeyed the penalty of the law. Because the penalty for the broken law was death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Therefore, Christ by his life, and always remember this, Christ lived for his people and died for his people. You, if you're saved tonight, you're saved by the life and the death of Christ. Both go together in his perfect sinless life and offering up that life as a sacrifice for sin. Because that was the only sacrifice God would accept. Complete perfection. We cannot obey the law of God. We are imperfect. 
But Christ came to undo all that Adam did. Christ came to do what Adam could not do. And that was to give a perfect obedience to the law of God. And he did that by keeping its precept and by paying its penalty. And therefore on the cross of Calvary, Christ bore the wrath of God for all his people. He took our sins and our sorrows. He made them his very own. On the cross, Paul saying, he purged himself for our sins. He suffered our condemnation. He suffered the wrath of God. Therefore, because Christ put away our sin as a child of God tonight, you will never stand trial for your sin. That ought to thrill your heart tonight. When God looks upon you, he sees you through his son. You are accepted, not because of you yourself or your church, but you're accepted because of Christ. Therefore, you tonight and any time will never stand trial for past sins. They have been put behind his back, never to be remembered any more. He has blotted them out, removed them from his sight. Therefore, child of God, tonight there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. To these unbelieving Jews, they just couldn't get this. To them it was a stumbling block. To the Greek it was an offence. But for us who are redeemed by the blood, it is the power of God unto salvation. Therefore, Paul is bringing them uh, to the Saviour, to the cross. Notice, fourthly, there is his position. Because here is the second part of his great high priestly ministry. Not only was the priest to offer up a sacrifice, but the priest was also to intercede. And here Christ, notice verse 3, not only Paul says, by himself purged our sins, that's his first work of his great high priestly ministry, to offer sacrifice, but notice, sat down on the right hand of God, on majesty, on high. Therefore, here is our great intercessor, our high priest. He has gone within the field. He now appears in the presence of God for us. Why? Because his work was accepted. That's why we believe in the resurrection. We preach the resurrection. Because he, the very fact that he rose from the dead and he is in glory for his people is because his work was accepted by the Father. You see, Paul again referring to the temple and saying you don't need to make those sacrifices because Christ's blood makes atonement for sin. Paul is saying, look at your temple. Your temple, and you know by the temple you access, you will find that the temple, of all the different furniture in the temple you go through, it did not have a seat. There was no place to sit down. There was no seat in the temple. Why? Because the priest's work was never done. They always had to make sacrifice in the morning and in the evening. And one day of the year for the day of atonement. They were constantly having sacrifice after sacrifice. But Paul is simply saying our great high priest. He did sit down. Why? Because he finished his work. The work that he was sent to do. Again Hebrews chapter 10 verse 11. 
Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, Paul saying, which can never take away sin. But our great high priest, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, this man, after having offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Therefore, he gave every priest, and that includes every priest today, he gave them all the sack. He uh, removed them from their office because he is the great high priest. Therefore, you don't need to run to an earthly priest. You come to Christ, the great high priest. You don't come to a confessional. You come to the throne of grace. He is the mediator. He is the saviour. He is the great high priest. Therefore, you go into your priest if you have one and you just tell him you don't need him anymore. You've been laid off. You give him whatever, a P45, whatever he needs. Just say, you're sacked because I have a great high priest and I don't have to pay him any money. Because he did everything for me. That's the thing Paul is getting at. Therefore, Paul is saying Christ is superior. And finally, my time's gone here. Apologize. Fifthly, we'll just get to his preeminence. Verse 6. Fifthly, his preeminence. And again, like I said, there's a lot more we could say here uh, with these first these 14 verses. Uh, I'm just giving you a bit of a, a thing to whet your appetite tonight that you can go and preach the rest of it. But I believe what is here covers the whole life, the death, the incarnation, the return of Christ. Uh, again, verse 6, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, let all the angels of God worship him. Verse 2, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Again, verse 8, uh, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the word there uh, in verse 2, hath appointed heir of all things. That word heir means to possess a lot or to have a, a portion or a possession. And this is speaking about something that has not yet been received but is still waiting for a future day. And therefore Paul is speaking about that day. Not only did the Saviour come, not only did he die or he lived and he died. And not only is he now in glory where he ever lives to pray for his people, intercede for all those whom his blood shed. But one day he is coming back where he will, uh, ha, uh, uh, well, he will come back for his people. Because didn't he promise in John chapter 14, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Therefore he's coming back for his church, coming back for his people. Can I ask, and again a lot more we can say again, Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, 11, on that great day every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. And a lot more we can say, but let me just say here in closing, uh, the very fact Christ came the first time presupposed his second coming. His first coming prepared the way for his second coming. And are you prepared for the coming of the Lord? Are you prepared to meet God? Are you prepared for that day? For the king is coming. Are you ready for the king's return? 
I pray tonight as we've looked at Christ the Son of God and we have tried to cover all the areas of his life. I pray that God will have blessed you and undertaken for you. And because he is coming back, therefore be busy about his father's business. Like John the Baptist, prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. Who do you know that's not saved? Who do you know that needs to hear the gospel? Who do you know that you can tell people to flee their wrath to come? Because there's a day coming of eternal separation. And therefore, I have family unsaved. You may have friends and family that's not saved. We want them counted in. We want to see them saved. Therefore, go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. Paul, encouraging these believers about the one whom saved them, the one who redeemed them. He says, this one is the Son of God. And we pray that God will bless you this night. And may God write his word upon our heart for his name's sake. We'll just look to the Lord in prayer then. I'll hand it back, uh, the meeting back over.